believe. Our fans believe. They're here tonight to show that they believe. Our team believes. We believe we can do this. Tennessee, on the other hand, showed up with their bravado. And bravado and belief are not the same thing. Sometimes bravado is trying to make up for insecurities. Whereas belief isn't making up for anything. It's believing in the possibilities. So South Carolina believed. Tennessee had bravado and we see what happened, right? It's important to know that they're not the same because just trying to convince yourself by saying something is not the same as saying something because you believe it. You understand what I'm saying? You have to believe something. And trust me, you do believe something. The question is, is what is it that you believe? Right? So I want to do something this morning. I just want to give us a little bit of a remembrance, a refresher. On the gospel according to the new covenant. Can you live with that? Amen. Are you okay with that? To do that, let's go to the, the book of Galatians in your Bible, chapter 2. We're going to cover some, quite a bit of scripture today. As we basically unpack the foundational understanding of what the gospel is according to the new covenant. So in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 through verse 21, I read, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have something different, hopefully we'll be on the same page anyway. We'll trust the Holy Spirit for that. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before a certain man came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in them. Read that again. Knowing, right, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Yes. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Yes. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ there a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now you have to understand something. There's a lot of churches still today that are so full of mixture, they don't even know how to understand this particular passage. They look at where, for instance, Paul says, uh, if, if, if we seek to be justified by Christ, we are, ourselves are also found sinners. They think he's talking about morality issue here. And he's not. He's talking about trying to go back under the law. That's why he goes on and he says, For if I build again those things which I destroy. If I build again those things which I destroy. See, if you're legalistically minded or law-based minded, you're thinking about, well, he's going back to adultery. He's going back to... That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the law. If as one who has now been justified in Christ, made whole and complete through Jesus Christ, by faith in Him, 
If I go back again and think that I need to improve upon what I've received or that somehow it wasn't sufficient and therefore I must now step in and fully obey the law, I become a transgressor. Yes. So how do you become a transgressor? This is not even in my notes. I just The Holy Spirit is just coming on me. How do you become a transgressor? Well, under the law, you became a transgressor anytime you violated the Ten Commandments. Or you stepped outside the civil or the ceremonial law, the system of sacrifices, etc., in the, in, the, in the covenant of the law given through Moses. That's how you became a transgressor. How do you become a transgressor under the new covenant? You don't come under. You come out from under what you were brought into, which was justification by faith in Jesus Christ, and you go back into what can I do to make this thing better, to make it stick, to make it real. You become a transgressor in the new covenant when you think that you have to return to the law in any form In order to make yourself holy, righteous, acceptable, to get from God what you think you, you, you need to get from God so that you'll be more deserving. As soon as you let your mind and your heart go there, you become a transgressor under the new covenant. Because the means by which God wants you to relate to Him has been offered to you freely by faith. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you have it. That's how you keep it. Colossians 2 says, As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Rooted and grounded. Where? In the faith. Not in the law. Not in your best effort. Not in your striving to be better. But in what Christ has already done so that you can figure out who you are in Him and begin to live out from a different place as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Right. See, there's a difference from living from the place of a new creation and trying to be a better you. Now these thoughts and statements from Paul are represented in other portions of Scripture. The occurrence with Peter that Paul is referring to is found in Acts 15, where men from Judea came up to Antioch and began to teach that Gentiles have to be circumcised. Now get this, not just circumcised, but also keep the law. Right. Now when I've taught this before in places, I've had people come to me, well-meaning people, and they want to say, well, Tim, the whole thing is just about circumcision. And I'd say, you're only reading portions of Scripture then. Yeah. And they'd say, what do you mean? I said, it goes further than circumcision. Yes. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's just a ceremony of circumcision. Well, yes, it does. It says they were telling the believers you have to be circumcised and keep the law. They didn't stop at circumcision. Circumcision was a sign that if a Gentile wanted to become Jewish, they became circumcised. But following circumcision was a vow to be devoted to the law. That's what it meant. It never just stopped at circumcision. That's the problem they were having there. In Acts 15, that's what they came up to do. So Paul and Barnabas rose up against it, and it led to them being sent to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders for a verdict. Now, that in turn led to a letter issued by the apostles to the Gentile churches, which was very clear and still authoritatively enforced to this day as far as heaven is concerned. As far as the kingdom of God is concerned, the apostolic letter is still authoritative. It doesn't go out of vogue with heaven. Something else hasn't taken its place. So let's look at Acts 15, verses 23 through 29. So you've got to pour over passages like this again and again to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Show me what is going on here as it pertains to the covenant Jesus made by His blood. So verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles and elders and the brethren, 
The letter says, To the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, look at what it says, you must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we gave no such commandment. Everybody always has, you always have those well-meaning people in the body of Christ. They take something that was said by a leader or someone in authority, and they run with it with their perspective on it. And before long, everybody's convinced that the pastor said, you've got to wear holy underwear or you'll go to hell. It's craziness. But it happens all the time, and that's what was going on here. You had some men from Judea. They were part of the church of Jerusalem. But they're still, they're Jewish in their thinking. They have not made that full transition yet. Just as the church in Jerusalem had not completely made its transition yet. They were still discovering through revelation of the Spirit what all was incorporated into this new covenant that Christ brought. The inclusion of the Gentiles. It took a little time for even the apostles to begin to realize Gentiles get this too. Think about that. So you still got well-meaning individuals in the church there. They've gone up from Judea. They've gone to Antioch. And they said that if your salvation is real, Gentiles, then you'll be circumcised to become Jewish like us because it's all, this is Jewish-based. And you'll be circumcised and you'll become keepers of the law. That's what you'll do. Paul and Barnabas resisted it. And here we see, they, they sum it up in the letter. This, is, this was written out by the apostles and sent to the churches. You must, he said, they came to you and they troubled your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. And it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul. Notice it says, beloved Barnabas and Saul. Yeah. Not in tension, not in conflict, not in contradiction, not in dispute about the gospel Paul is preaching, but in agreement. Yeah. Our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Four simple things. Four simple things. Now, if you're familiar with this account before the church of Jerusalem with the elders and the apostles, you'll remember that as the apostles pulled aside to further debate the, and discuss the issue, that, that uh, Peter stood up and he made the statement. He said, men and brethren, why would we tempt God and put a yoke of bondage on the neck of the Gentiles that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. Now, if this was just circumcision, he wouldn't have said that. They can deal with circumcision. That's simple enough. You're eight days old. You don't even remember what happened to you later on. As far as you know, it was always that way. Unless somebody told you, and you got told in the teaching of your, your faith that that's what takes place. And then you realize later on, wait a minute, that must have hurt. <laughs> are, are you with me? Yes. So the burden or the yoke that Peter is referring to here is not the yoke of circumcision. It's the yoke of the demands and condemnation the law brings with it. The law was given and it was righteous and it was holy and it, it was good in that sense and it's right used purpose. It is good. 
in a wrong used way, it is not. So when the law was lawfully used, which is for sinners, right? To convince them that they are not on equal par with God. They're not righteous. They're not holy. There's none good, no, not one, right? When the law is used that way in the world with sinners, that's appropriate use of the law. That's a proper use of the law. But when you start bringing the law into the church, to the saints, and trying to put that yoke of bondage on them, that's an improper use of the law. They're not married to the law anymore. We'll get into that. Four simple things. If you keep yourselves from these, they said, you'll do well. Farewell. Simple letter. Super simple letter. Now, I hope everybody noticed what the apostles stated regarding being circumcised or keeping the law. The apostles themselves affirmed what Paul preached in all his epistles regarding the law, no longer being applied to believers in Christ. And I love how much the apostles simplified things with this letter. See, they simply stated four things that should be observed. The abstinence policy involved four simple things. And these four simple things are upheld by Jesus himself in Revelation when he addresses and rebuked the leaders of the churches of Asia. If people read the scriptures more, they'd know of a certainty that a lot of the nonsense being bandied about by cancel culture and other political movements today within and without the church are way off course with the will of God for his people. The stuff that some people are saying God is for is the most crazy nonsense I think I've ever heard in my life. Now in these modern times, Many are trying to say that sexual immorality is acceptable to God. There's nothing wrong with fornication. What is fornication? It's sex outside of marriage. Any way you slice it. You're supposed to reserve that sacred act for when you have become married. You've entered covenant with each other. That's what it's for. LGBTQ lifestyles, which are clearly denounced within the scriptures, and fall into the category of sexual immorality. That's not in favor with God. God hasn't all of a sudden changed his mind and said, I'm for this. Sexual immorality that Jesus sternly came against in Revelation when speaking about Jezebel, a corrupt prophetess leading the church astray. If you look at what is being said to the seven churches, you'll realize that they're being held accountable to the apostolic letter. Not the law, the apostolic letter. They're in violation of the apostolic letter. In these modern times, we've got to get our minds and our hearts thinking straight. See, the church leaders that Jesus rebuked disregarded the apostolic letter and were doing nothing to correct the error in the churches according to New Covenant understanding. And because they were doing nothing to correct it and to equip the people... They were being held accountable and rebuked by the Lord Himself. Now with that being said, I want to spend a little more time in Galatians regarding the New Covenant Gospel and all its effects. See, I want us to understand the importance of getting the Gospel right. Because the truth is, for your life to be lived out as a mirror or a reflection of who Christ really is, you have to get the Gospel right. In Galatians 2, 19, Paul spoke of dying to the law when he died with Christ. He said the law killed him. His thoughts in this area are given more time in Romans 7. Do you realize that what killed Jesus at the cross, was it was the law. He died because of the law. You say, what? He had to die because of the law. The law requires death. The purity and righteousness and holiness of God is so complete and so altogether different from anything we've ever known or 
or, or imagine that under the law something had to die. Blood had to be shed. So when Jesus took on the sin of the whole world at the cross, he had to die just like a lamb would have to be sacrificed annually for the sin of the people. He had to die outside the camp. That's why he died on the hill of Golgotha. Everything about the cross, the crucifixion of Christ, everything surrounding his death, his resurrection, is so meticulously taken care of, item by item by item, in, in, in the course and purpose of God. It's mind-blowing when you take time to look into it. The Lord left no stone unturned. When it comes to your redemption, he wasn't playing around. He was serious, man. That's why in Hebrews it says, He saves to the uttermost. He didn't do a shabby work. That somebody else has got to come along behind and fix or repair what wasn't quite completed properly. Jesus did it right. And did it completely. That's our Lord. So in quoting from Romans 7, Paul is speaking of a woman who's bound to her husband so long as the husband lives. But if the husband dies, she's no longer bound to the husband. In Romans 7, there's a complete and a very clear explanation of why we're not under the law. Paul explains that when Christ died, we died with him, and in so doing, we were set free from the law at that point in time. If you go back to Romans chapter 6, you'll discover that Paul very carefully, meticulously outlines how that when Jesus died, you died with him. And when Jesus was buried, you were buried with him. And when Jesus arose, you arose with him. That's what it says. Now, either you believe that, or you don't. Now, this is why in verse 17 of Galatians 2, Paul states very clearly that if someone tries to go back under the law for righteousness, they're sinning against God. Because they're saying his new covenant faith in Christ is not enough. It's not enough. It's a form of spiritual adultery because it's stepping out on Christ who is the legitimate husband of the church. But not only are they sinning, they're affecting other things as well because they're slowly removing themselves from a true walk of faith. Look at what Paul goes on to say about the effects of abandoning true walk of faith. Look at it in Galatians chapter 3. And let's look at verses 1 through verses, 11, or verses 12. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Amen. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. By faith. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying quote. In you all the nations shall be blessed end quote. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law 
are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Now you have to understand something about law life. If you offend in the smallest area of the law, you become an offender in the entirety yes. of the law. Yes. The law is so pure that there's no checklist for which one you did as to whether it was minimal or major. One minor violation of the law is a violation of the entirety of the law. You have to understand that. Justice under the law is blind. If there's ever been a blind justice, it's the law. The law that God gave. It's no respecter of persons. You get no favor. You get no exception. You get no nothing. If you want to be under the law, you come under the critique of the law, and the law is going to minister death to you every single time. It's going to tell you what you are not according to your flesh. It will identify you with your flesh every single time. It will tell you how short you've come. And it will tell you you need to try harder. Only to get to tell you again. You're still not there. You still can't do it. You're still not doing it. You still don't measure up. You still, you're still wretched. You're still miserable. You're still condemnation, condemnation, condemnation and death. Why any child of God would want to live under that is mind-boggling. Now, in this point of Paul's declaration in chapter 3, we see him demonstrating very simply how the Galatians experienced the Holy Spirit at work and received miracles and spiritual gifts by faith, not by the law. Everything in the kingdom operates according to faith. You, let me say that again. Everything in the kingdom operates according to faith. The way some of you are looking at me, I think I have to say it a third time. <laughs> Everything in the kingdom operates according to faith. It doesn't operate for you because you had your best effort this week. Well, I had somebody cut me off in traffic, and believe it or not, I didn't cuss at them. I pulled up to the McDonald's drive-thru and it took them 10 minutes to get my order ready. And I was patient. <laughs> Any other thing you can think of? I was so much kinder, so much nicer to everybody I ran into this week. I'm starting to catch the Christmas spirit. You know, I, I'd be doomed if I had to master the patience thing and everything. I'm telling you, I, I'm on a purpose. I'm, I'm a purpose-minded guy. I've I got locked into my head and my heart and my mind what I want to see happen that day, and I'm wanting to get to it and get it done. And I will work until bedtime if I have to to get it to a place of completion. That's the way I'm made. That's the way I, I function. That's why it's hard for anybody to work with me. Very hard. Can we go home yet? Are we done yet? When will we be done? Well, if you quit talking to me about it and just do what you're supposed to be doing, we'll get done a lot quicker. So if i got to fall under that thing, I'm going to tell you right now, my flesh is never going to submit to that. I'm just doomed. Yeah, I could probably put in a good day. Who knows? I'm just being honest. 
Like David said, we're all, we're conditioned here in the Western world to be in a hurry. We want everything quick. We don't necessarily care if it's the highest quality as long as it can get to us quick. That's why some of us will buy from China. <laughs> it's a lower grade product, but we can get it quicker through Amazon next day. And it's cheaper too. We like that one too, cheaper. Right? So if it's cheap, it's quick, and it's easy, give it to me. Now, if you're buying from China, I'm not trying to condemn you. You're free to buy from China. I bought some things from China myself because I wanted the quick, the easy, and the affordable at that moment in time. I have done the same thing myself, and I'll probably do it again and again. Who knows? You know, half the time I'm not checking to see where it comes from until it arrives in a package, and I open it up, and there's a label made in China. I'm like, holy wow, man. <laughs> what happened here? There are just so many things we could beat ourselves up over if we let us go there. If you, if you want to go back under the law, if you want to go back under a legalistic mindset, you're going to spend every day with a cloud of despair over you. And that's just no way to live. I've lived there before. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to... To constantly be questioning whether you measure up to the leaders around you who are preaching the mixture. And you're trying your hardest to prove to them you're doing your best. Only to find out that even when you thought you hit it at your best, you really didn't. Because, see, they've got a little bit of that law anymore. That exactness. That it's got to be a certain way, yeah. at a certain time, with a certain tone. So true. You didn't say it to me with a smile. <laughs> Your hair was messed up when you were in front of me talking to me about it. I needed you to be dressed more appropriately, like you were somebody of influence, not in blue jeans and All the many things that are affected in our perspective because we haven't come fully under the grace of God that is in the new covenant. You'd be surprised and shocked how much of your daily life and your choices that you make and the thoughts that you think are a direct reflection of how rooted and grounded you become in the right gospel. This new covenant is a covenant of faith. It's not a covenant of the works of the law. You cannot be saved apart from faith. You cannot receive the Holy Spirit apart from faith. And you will not flourish in the supernatural as you are meant to apart from faith. See, you are a supernatural being. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that most things that try to get you set free from any kind of bondage you're in get you focused on what you can do to get free? <laughs> you'll get free if you'll just do this. If you'll just do this. If you'll just do this. I'm always shocked how hardly any of them ever say, let's take a look at Jesus. Let's get distracted by the beauty of Jesus. Let's find out who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how that applies to you. What has it done in your life? What Jesus did. Instead, it's what you got to do to get free from the thing that's been hindering you, which you've been trying to get free from all along on your own effort already. You've been convicted about it over and over and over again. You're feeling condemned about it. You feel like you're a prisoner to it. You want to be set free from it. But you're not free from it. And you're trying to figure out why am I not free from it. And I'm going to tell you why you're not free from it. Because you're not thinking in terms of new covenant relationship with the Father. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. 
And if you can settle that once and for all, not just in your spirit, man already knows it, but if you can settle it in your soul, you can begin to operate from a place of empowerment by the Spirit where the flesh is truly reckoned dead and you're no longer a slave to any sin. You're not a slave anymore. No. You're set free. Does that mean that you're going to be perfect outwardly speaking? No. But what it means is, is that this thing is not going to lord over you as to who you are so that you're a prisoner to it for the remainder of your life. I'm going to give you an exercise. Sheila, I've been doing this for years. Don't you dare think of a red flag. I'm telling you, don't think of a red flag. Not a square, rectangular, not a round, not a triangle, not any, not any type of red flag. Don't you think about it. How many of you had the image of the red flag come into your mind and, and every time I mentioned red flag it was there again and again and again and again and now you got a fixed image of the red flag I told you not to think about who will be honest that's the law don't touch don't taste don't handle don't and you're so focused on trying to don't you, you're not even thinking about what you're supposed to do. You're not about what you do. You're about what you don't. And so you're trying your hardest in your own strength according to the flesh, which Romans 8 makes it very clear that the law could not perfect anyone because it relied on the strength of the flesh. And what? The flesh is weak. Grace is your friend. Grace is your empowerment. Grace is your key to access. Grace. When it spoke of Jesus in John 1, it says He came to give us grace upon grace. Grace for grace in another translation. In other words, it gives you favor to discover you have favor with God. Is that not amazing? You can't even discover you got favor with God until He makes you discover you got favor with God because He shows you the favor you need to find the favor that you need. We got a good God. He's a good God. You can't be saved apart from faith. You can't receive the Holy Spirit apart from faith. You'll not flourish in the supernatural like you're meant to apart from faith. This is why getting the gospel right is so important for every believer. The number of believers still in bondage to a wrong idea of the gospel is staggering. And there's still great mixture in the churches and those stuck under that instruction struggle with knowing the truth concerning who they are in Christ and what's already been done so they can walk according to the Spirit by faith. This thing that we're doing now is meant to be a walk in the Spirit. Now that can sound airy-fairy and mystical to you if you allow it. But trust me, it's highly practical. It's incredibly practical. Those that don't get it are being robbed, as it were, by being kept from their true inheritance in Christ. In Christ, you have an inheritance. Your inheritance is to have the same spirit that helped him be and do what he was called to be and do according to the will of the Father here on this earth when he came to the planet. 
as a baby. Grew up. Grew in stature and favor with God and with man. Went through the same process as we go through. Everything that Jesus did, all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave, all the way out of the grave, to the ascension to heaven, he was aided and assisted by the Holy Spirit. As a man. He emptied himself of his divinity and came as a man. You have to understand, everything Jesus did, Jesus did as a man. Empowered with the Holy Spirit. That promise of the Father was, that's what made it such a big deal. When Jesus spoke of the promise of the Father, what made it was a big deal. He was talking about the very thing that was making him able to do all that he was doing. And that you and I would have that same promise available to us. But how is it available? Through faith. Through faith. We've got to get the mixture out. Now many are living confused, not knowing how to respond to the modern situations occurring daily in our lives. They're kept from the kind of faith that makes it possible to walk in the supernatural as a way of life. And if you ask some believers, you might know, if they knew what the apostolic letter stated, you might be amazed to find out many can't answer that. They wouldn't know how, to, how free the church truly was based on that letter and still is. They're stuck with measuring success according to the Ten Commandments being kept or not kept. And they're rooted in a moralistic idea of spirituality that has nothing to do with a real relationship with God through Christ. Religious. In other words, many are not grounded in the right gospel. And so with that, I'm going to ask you, what gospel are you grounded in? How quickly do you find, how easy is it for you in the midst of your difficulty or your mistakes or whatever's going on, to have a conversation with your father. Let me ask it this way. Dads, would you want your kids to relate to you the way you're trying to relate to the father? Would you want them to stay as far away from you as they possibly could when they make a mistake because they just don't know how you're going to treat them? What they're going to encounter if they come in? Having blown it. Same thing for you moms. Same, same thing. And I'm not putting our relationship to blood relations or anything else at, at a higher place than our relationship to God. I'm, just, I'm giving you a comparison in the sense that you have to understand that when we're reluctant because we don't understand the gospel... To come before the Father, no matter what's happening in our lives, we're just establishing that we have mixture inside our soul that still needs to get weeded out. You should be able to fall down a hundred times and get right back up. Stronger than you were when you fell. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God knows that your flesh will one day be redeemed. It will get glorified when Jesus returns. In the meantime, we're reckoning it dead. And we're functioning according to our identity in the Spirit. And when it, when it gets a little out of hand at some time or another, we are not kept back from being able to approach the Father at the throne of grace. And find mercy to help us in our time of need. Why? Because your relationship, it is intended to stay active all the time. No matter what's going on in your life. It's intended that your relationship to the Father, to Christ, to the Holy Spirit, stays in connection, stays complete like it should, no matter what's going on. But see, you can't have that if you haven't understood the gospel correctly. 
See, if you think of the gospel as just a means to get somebody into the kingdom, well, that's great. We do the gospel to get somebody saved. No, you need the gospel the entire time of your life here on earth. You need the gospel every day, every moment of the day. All the time you need the gospel. The gospel is the key to your relationship. Staying active with the Father. Hey, listen, if anybody could blow it, I've blown it. I don't, there's not time enough for me to tell you how many times I've blown it. I'm good. I, I could be like Peter. I can stick my foot in my mouth just as easy as he ever did. Not a hard thing to do. I mean, I've blown it big time before. Okay? But that didn't stop me from still being... A child of God, who's still being loved by God, who's still being able, because of what Christ did, to go before God and say, hey, God, I blew it. You had to have seen that. Nothing escapes your attention. Now what do I do? And he'll say, well, one, you move on. But because it involves somebody else, you need to fix what you did. Because those relationships matter, and I want you to be at peace with those. As much as it's possible and lies within you, be at peace with others. This is what you need to do to try to fix it. Now, he doesn't tell me that I am responsible for their heart. He just says that you're responsible to go and correct what you did wrong. Right? The rest is up to them as to whether they release that or they don't. But you've done what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to do it because they matter to you. Yes, yes. Even though you were upset with them or whatever caused you to do the wrong thing to start with, you, you, you they matter to you. Yes. They hold value with you. Yes. And so you're putting out your best effort to try to fix that. Yeah. But there are sometimes you can't fix certain things that got broken until the other party wants to be healthy as well. So if they've chosen to not be healthy, that's not a reflection on you not doing the right thing. But see, if you're legalistic-minded, you've got this idea that if I just do the right thing, then it's all got to pan out per perfectly the way it's supposed to. Even when it involves other people, and it doesn't. I can't be in charge of anyone's heart, anyone's motives, anyone's attitude. Only here. I can't be responsible for anyone's perspective. I was just with a minister yesterday having lunch and explaining that, look, you're going to be misunderstood. There are going to be phrases that you say that sound like it comes from some other camp. And somebody that don't know any better is going to swear that you're from that camp and write you off because they think that's what you think. They just heard you make a phrase and a message. That's all it took. And now you're lumped into that camp. Just like that. He says, well, that's why I'm trying to be careful. I said, well, good luck with that. You're going to torment yourself trying to figure out how you're going to avoid every catchphrase for every camp when you're trying to speak to people. Are you going to trust the Holy Spirit or are you going to speak to people from your own intellect and your own prowess? Make your blunders. It's okay. Really? When you try to manage it, that you're basically telling the Holy Spirit, you just can't, you can't let me get there. <coughs> so you think you can be in charge of people's perspectives, and you can't. Jesus proved it. Jesus told everything to the people that he told them in the simplest form of communication there was. In other words, it's a nice way of saying, I dumbed it down to infant level. He did that. And then when his disciples say, why do you teach in parables? He said to prove what the prophet Isaiah said. That hearing, they don't hear. And seeing, they don't see. Lest they should hear. 
with their ears and see with their heart and be free. The point was, you don't have the power to free yourself. If, unless you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, you won't even hear a message right. You might be sitting there in the seat critiquing every sentence the guy speaks. I'm preaching to somebody. <laughs> we got to get the gospel right. And when we get the gospel right, you start to realize that the grace that's in the new covenant that is yours, you can actually yield that grace out to others. You can meet it out to others. So instead of critiquing others, which you don't like to be critiqued, if you're sick of being critiqued by the law, like I was sick of being critiqued by the law, knowing that you're never going to measure up anyway, why would you do that to somebody else? But can I tell you something? There are still a lot of churches where there's cliques in the church based on legalistic mindsets. This click over here is a little more holy than this click over here, which is a little more holy than this click over here, which is a little more holy than this click over here, and so on. And so until you can get your act together, you've got to make it through the ladder of holiness here. I started out over here, I've been saved three weeks, and every now and again I let the word damn come out of my mouth. They're not sure if I'm talking about one that holds water back, or if I'm, you know... You know what I'm saying? So I can't get to this group until I conquer that. They don't want me around them. It might be a bad reflection on them if, if I'm around them. It doesn't matter that I'm just three weeks saved, you know. Can't, can't, I can't make, man, if I can't make it to that group, I definitely can't get to that one. And if I can't get, I can't get to that one, and I'm starting to wonder... Can I do anything? All the way we can even minister condemnation to one another in the church when we don't get the gospel right. So, if every now and again you slip up and you use a curse word, don't worry, I'll still have lunch with you. It's not a problem. <laughs> We'll get along just fine. <laughs> See, that was part of the Pharisees' problem with our Lord. He'd be around these people that didn't even make the first circle click of holiness. And he was hanging around them. Scandalous, man. But he was the, he's the giver of grace. He's, he's grace personified. Now, at the same time, he's not saying, hey, just keep on living however it is you live. For the rest of your life, it's perfectly okay. He's not doing that. His goal is to change us. The Holy Spirit's goal is to conform us to the image of Christ. So if you're somebody who says, well, I kind of like being raw and, and edgy. I like it over here at three weeks saved. Where I can say whatever I want to. People just have to deal with it. And if they don't deal with it the way I think they should, they're just raving religious Pharisees. That talk and that attitude is revealing how unloving you really are. You don't care about anybody but yourself. You're stuck in narcissistic tendencies. And you need freedom from that. So there is some measure of caring a little bit about the sensitivities of others. But not so much that it debilitates me. Yes. 
You understand? Yes. I'm trying to show you how practical supernatural Holy Spirit life can be without it being rules. It doesn't have to be rules. It can be the community, the atmosphere, the culture of loving one another. I'm glad you're so happy. The culture of loving one another. See, if I love you, and I know that Let's just take, for instance, a certain... You're a vegan. And I invite you to dinner, and the first thing I do is grill you a ribeye. And just insist that you got to deal with it. I'm not showing you love by doing that. You know what I'm saying? Now, I might want you to be free from being vegan. Because I love you. And I feel like you're missing out. But it is not love to invite you to dinner and try to force meat down your throat and offend you. That's not loving. And if you're vegan and you invite me to dinner, it's okay because I like vegetables too. Because if I gave you the ribeye, I'd probably put some grilled asparagus with it some salad with it, you know? Come on. So if I come here, out, give me the asparagus and the salad. We'll be good. Because if my motive in coming to you is love, and your motive in having me there is love, we're going to get along just fine. Despite the differences. We're going to be able to find a way through it. Instead of insisting on our way in it. Are you, are you hearing me? I've got faith for some things that other people don't have faith for. That's fine. But if they don't have faith for it, I don't get to condemn them for not having the same faith I have in that area. Not if I'm loving them. Not if I'm loving them. So see, when you deal with new covenant grace and new covenant faith, new covenant grace and faith is going to bring you into the culture of His love. The compassion he was able to see others with, you'll be able to see others with. You'll be able to give that out. And others will pick up on it and they'll appreciate it coming from you. And you can get with the rawest of sinners. And they will they will they will get they will communicate with you in a way that they don't commu communicate with other Christians you notice simply because they don't feel judged by you in that moment. They know that you know that the way they're living is wrong. It's amazing. But somehow they feel like they can be honest. I just want to be like Jesus. You know, I believe the Bible teaches against the things that the letter spoke of, especially in the sexual immorality in the areas. But if somebody's in sexual immorality, I'm not going to say I can't get anywhere near you because you're in sexual immorality. I'm going to say, hey, let's take some time and let's just talk about some things. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to help them realize that if, if, you're, if you're going to know Jesus, if you're going to walk with Jesus, which is wonderful, uh, He's going to lead you out of certain things in your lifestyle that is doing you great harm right now. Yeah. Not good for you. I, I've said it before here. I'll say it again. When my sons rebelled at a time in our journey, I told them, I said, if you even murder somebody, you're still my son. I'm going to love you. But I can't condone what you did. I can't say that I approve of what, how you behaved. I can't do that. But you'll never be outside my love. You'll never be outside my love. Brothers and sisters, getting the gospel right is so important. So let me wind this up with saying, we're asking, what gospel are you grounded in? Is it a new covenant gospel or a gospel of mixture at least uncertainty and confusion? I want to encourage you to make sure you're not getting your input from confused teachers. Be a little more picky about the table you're going to sit at. 
I was with somebody yesterday and they were talking about how fearful of excessive grace they are. I said, you haven't even preached grace until you can be misunderstood as preaching it in excess. Paul was accused of preaching license to sin because of the message he preached of the gospel of grace. If your message of grace hasn't gotten you into a little bit of misunderstanding with others, especially those of the legalistic sect, you're not preaching it right. You're just not. And I'm willing to be misunderstood. I don't... Nobody's my judge anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to stand or fall before the human race. So, but people need to hear the scandalous, radical, salvation, redemption work of Jesus Christ. The plan that was hatched in eternity past. By the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They need to hear it. Yes. Without shame, without reservation, without embarrassment, without apology. Yes. They need to hear that God so loved the world yes. that He gave yes. His only Son. Yes. So make sure you're getting quality New Covenant input. Make sure. You ready to pray? Kept you long enough. Some of you look hungry. I don't blame you. Make this thing roll. There we go. You may be here this morning. You may have been wrestling with some self-condemnation and other things, I'm here to tell you this freedom. Yeah. Freedom in Christ Jesus. Yes. You may be here this morning, you may be thinking that everything is just perfect in your life because you've been on such a good streak. Yeah. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to get hold of you too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just pray. Father, we just ask you for that mercy that you've invited us to come get. We've come for that mercy that we need to help us in a time of need. There's no better time than now, Lord. You know we're in the last days. You know the times we're living in. You know the confusion, deception, and strong delusion that is afoot in our world today. Some of it's even a, a, a cropping up in churches. And so, Father, we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need the truth of Christ Jesus to be so resonant and so pure and so accurate within our heart and mind that we're not taken aside by the things that we're witnessing with our eyes and hearing with our ears and being told by others we should spend our time thinking about. Lord, we don't want to be a prisoner to anything other than the truth concerning your Son. And so we're asking for help. Lord, we're asking for your help even when we think we've gotten it all together. We're asking for your help when we think we've got nothing together. We're looking to you. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Our confidence is in you. Our life is in you. And so we come to you and we ask you, be merciful and help us. Help us to see things clearly that we have not been able to see before. Help us to understand more fully, according to the Spirit, what it is that you know we need to understand rightly. And Lord, rescue us from our own trap and snare of intellectualism in our own lives, where we think if we could figure it out, we could own it in the power and the strength of our own flesh. Lord, make us more reliant on the Spirit. Help us be more reliant on the Spirit, Father, in Jesus' name. We want that. And most of all, Father, make sure that we get this gospel right. Every single one of us. And Father, I'm thanking you that bondages have already been broken by the Spirit. Already been broken. According to the truth of Christ Jesus, they're broken. Lord, nobody here can be under a curse. Curses were broken. You took upon you, you became a curse for us. 
Lord, everything that the enemy would seek to try to trap anybody with, we break it right now according to the truth and according to the word of the Spirit. Jesus Christ took care of it. We thank you for that. And I thank you that the healing that various ones need, watching online, or they're here, maybe even present, I thank you that that's theirs too. In Jesus, they've received this. I ask you to help us connect all of these things the way that we're meant to, according to spiritual understanding. And Father, so I'm just I'm looking forward to seeing people flourish, flourish. I know things look bad today, but Lord, your people can flourish, even in the worst of times. And I'm thanking you for flourishing in Jesus' name. Thank you for doing that, Lord. And some are needing miracles, Father. Practical, down-to-earth, fide miracles because of situations occurring in their lives right now. They need, they need supply. They need provision. They need uh, solutions. They need things that, that look unattainable, impossible. I'm thanking you that you're going to make it possible. You're going to provide miracles, Father, in their situations that they can give testimony about how you showed up because there could have been no other way had you not. In Jesus' name, everyone says, Amen. 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 You received this this morning? Yes. If you need prayer or ministry, please come.